Welcome to HR in the Car with Miriam Duchesne and Tom Shin of Alant Workforce Solutions, where exciting HR professionals and business leaders share laughter, insider stories, and maybe even a few tears about HR in today's world. Buckle up for the best half hour of your week. Well, Miriam, I'm really excited for this next guest. I've always read about him and heard about him. I'd never met him in person. It was so funny having him come in the door and saying, who are you? Yeah, I know. <laughs> so uh, we're excited to have Reg Harnish from Orbital Fire as our next guest on HR in the Car. Um, I, you mentioned that you'd met him a long time ago. I've known Reg for over 20 years. Wow. Yes. I remember when he worked at Autotask. Like we talked and worked together. He thinks I actually placed him in a job years ago, but I told him in honesty, I'm pretty sure I never did, but I know I worked with him as a hiring manager in the past. Yeah. But um, yeah, he's, I mean, he's done great things um, with companies from Autotask to Graycastle and now Orbital Fire. So I'm really excited that um, he's talking with us because he has a great story. And I think it's really important for small business to understand that cyber does affect them too. Hey, listeners, would you like to make an impact in the hiring world? Well, here's your chance to have your voice heard. Alant invites you to participate in their biannual hiring index survey, open now. By sharing your insights, you'll be contributing valuable data that helps shape the hiring landscape. So don't miss this opportunity to be part of the change. Head over to Alant.com right now and take the survey. That's A-L-A-A-N-T.com. Make a difference with Alant's hiring index survey. Your voice matters. Take the survey today. So, Reg, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit. So, if you were out at a party and someone was you're being introduced to someone for the first time and they said, Oh, what do you do? What would you what would you tell them you do? I'd probably start with I'm a really underrated dancer. <laughs> no, I would not. I would mention that I'm a proud father and Someone who spent a lot of time in my career focusing on that, but you know, at probably the the right moment, figured out how to adjust my priorities and and think about family and, and do other things. So I'd probably gravitate towards talking about my recent marriage, my six year old daughter, our upcoming Disney cruise, and go from there. Gotcha. Now, if you were going to talk about what you do for a living, what would you say? Well, I would say my plans changed when I only ended up being 5'10", I was going to be the point guard for the Knicks. Or oh. I would have replaced Phil Rudd, the drummer of ACDC, but neither of those worked out. So um, I ended up getting into technology very young. I was 13 when I got my first computer. My grandfather was a huge part of my life and very influential and kind of the, the male figure. And he was the original nerd. And he was a TV repairman down in Albany, but he just loved computers. And if anyone who remembers the very first personal computers, I mean, they looked nothing like they do today. Right. Although they kind of looked like, a, like an iPad with a keyboard, like a tactile keyboard. Yeah. Anyway, I was getting his hand-me-down starting at age 13, so I started coding. And really, by the time I was ready to get into college. I was already working full time. I was making more money than my parents and, uh, which was good and bad. Honestly, I had more money than brains. And <laughs> so, uh, really sort of fast forward the highlights, kicked out of college, ended up working for NASA for a while, moved around the country with different technology jobs. 
The real first important one, I guess, was I had just moved back to the Albany area. I worked for a company called Fact. Anyone who knows Craig Skevington, it was one of his mm-hmm. startups. Yep. And uh, it's like employee seven or something like that. We ended up going through an IPO four years later, five years later. Uh, it was a really exciting time. You know, this, the late 90s was just like boom in technology. So it was really exciting. I had a lot of responsibility. I ended up with a pile of money at the end and it was exciting. I moved to New York City and started a company with Kimball Musk, Elon's brother. No wow. way. It was a, yeah, it was a video platform, looked a little bit like YouTube, but really one, it was not a great time to be starting a company, 2001-ish, you know, 2000, oh, yeah. 2001, mm-hmm. it was kind of, kind of crashing. And also, obviously, there was just no future in a platform that all it did was play videos. <laughs> So we got out. No, why would anyone want that? We got out as quickly as possible. I moved home from there, met Bob Godgart, Dick Frederick, ended up being one of the founders and CTO of Autotask, and was there for about eight years. And that company was, I mean, just super exciting. We had customers globally. And we ended up with a lot of investment, a lot of ton of dollars. And the company ultimately went through a couple of mergers and acquisitions. The last one was close to a billion dollars. Wow. Then I did a few things in cybersecurity. I'll come back to where it started and started a company called Graycastle Security yep. in 2011. That became a very successful professional services firm in that space. And then in 2019 was one of the people that came up with an idea. Really, it was not my idea. I can't take credit for it. But it was my job to evaluate this idea of bringing cybersecurity to small businesses. And at first I was like, first of all, I don't know anything about small businesses. And second of all, it sounds like a dumb idea. But after some analysis and just you know, kind of looking through and building a business plan, I just fell in love with it. And uh, so that's what I've been doing ever since. We launched the company officially June 1st, 2020, and I've uh, been doubling the company every year. So Smack exciting. dab in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, why not? Why not? Well, my cybersecurity career started back in 2003 or four at Autotask. We had a big multi-billion dollar prospect that wanted to buy a version of our software. And um, the last hurdle we had to get over was a cybersecurity audit. And so first time I ever heard of the ISO 27K, got my butt kicked, but just ended up falling in love with the whole thing, the whole, the process and the, just really everything about it just fit my personality really well. Yeah, pretty much from there, the rest of my career just gravitated towards cyber. So how were you learning how to code when you were 13? Was it just all books? I mean, the, the, the internet, you're, you're not that much older than me. I think you no, and I are no very either. close in the age. I'm trying, I mean, I'm She's 48. 29. I'm 48. I'll be, I'll be honest. I'm 48. How old are you? I'm 53. Okay. So we, we didn't have the internet when no. we were 13. No, so it was, it was definitely from books and it was also from my grandfather who oh, was okay. already coding and he had, he had a ton and of Pascal books. And, and you had the little was rocket it Pascal? ship on the table. Was, yeah, it basic? was basic? Was it, is was, it basic? Yeah. Was I mean, basic? I don't know when Pascal was invented, but uh, that was out of my grasp at that time. Everything was basic and, you know, you turn the computer on and anything you wanted to do, you had to load it from a cassette tape. And then when you turn the computer off, well, everything's gone. Yeah. You know, either you saved it or you didn't on cassette. Right. But generally, you know, for me, I, I was really into Castle Wolfenstein. Love which was, that game. Well, it was the, uh, you know, the, I wanted to say 8-bits, not even 8-bit, like 1-bit. Mm-hmm. game where it's just text read out to you. Yeah, you had one silhouette of a castle or whatever it was that yeah. was on. I don't remember all the way back then. It was all but, ASCII graphics. Yep. 
Yep. Yeah. But I, I fell in love with that. So I was kind of like trying to come up with my own version of something. I, I have like so many questions. I want to know why he got kicked out of school. How did he end up at NASA? I mean, come on. That's what my kid wants to know is how do I end up there? <laughs> Without going to school. Well, I, you see, I worked at NASA when it wasn't so cool. Okay. Honestly. Although looking back and I do have a couple of mission badges, which at the time were, you know, meant nothing to me, but now it's like pretty awesome. Yeah. But we were, my job was taking all of these spy satellite images and putting them in a database and processing them so that you, they could generate intelligence. I had a top secret clearance and... Ease. But, you know, it just, the government just moves so slow. And oh, I, of course, God, I knew yeah. everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so I, I wasn't there for very long. Now, looking back, it's a way cooler job than I probably gave it credit for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think I, it's cool right now. Yeah. My, Absolutely. My uh, next door neighbor growing up, he was colorblind as well. We talked about this earlier because <laughs> we're on Go Red today and I think I'm wearing orange. So he would look at satellite imagery in the Vietnam War, and his job was to look at the camouflage shot, to look at the forestry shots, and he'd spot camouflage, camouflage. So he'd take Jeep, Jeep, tank, carrier, this and oh that and the other, God. where they just see trees. But because of the yeah. contrast that we color defunct people can see and can't see, we So could that spot was out. actually a, a special skill uh-huh. for something like that. That's mm-hmm. fascinating. It gave me hope that I could do something with my life. <laughs> I think you made out okay, <laughs> Mr. Friend. I think you're okay. So, so tell us about the getting kicked out of school piece. That's always yeah, fun. Listen, I, I thank you to my, probably my mom. Uh, I ended up being really good at standardized tests. Mm. So high school was very easy. I don't know. I was really at the top of my class. And I ended up, I think either, it was either a 1410 or a 1610 on my SATs. Very good. And so I could kind of go wherever I wanted. I mean, most colleges and universities were, uh, the SAT score was like, that was yeah. the litmus test. Yeah, the, that was it. Yeah. And so I only applied to RPI and really because I admired my aunt and that's where she went. And so she was getting like all these different degrees. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Even though my best friend went to Boston University and I was there every weekend because RPI was not the most socially <laughs> exciting place to be. Subsequently, I mentioned I was working full-time. Really, through most of my short college career, I was, you know, I was working. I already had a job. And meanwhile, at RPI, the computer science curriculum was really just antiquated. They were, like, mm-hmm. teaching COBOL and Modula 2 compiling. And, and I was already writing in C and Oracle at my job. And yeah. so I'm like, I just, I can't do this. Plus, I had a ton of parking tickets. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so I, I don't know what my GPA was, but it was probably single digits, you know, just, yeah. I just couldn't get interested. And I wasn't a good student either. Like I didn't get the study gene from, from anyone. I right. was just not good at it. So curious though, fast forwarding, do you have a college degree? I do not. See, I love it. I, I, have, the same, it. I have the same degree that Bill Gates and exactly. Larry, I was going to say, your entire storyline, I'm thinking, this sounds like Bill Gates' storyline. <laughs> I know, very much <laughs> that's so. My, that's my backup anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right? So talk about the business. So small business, cybersecurity. Cybersecurity seems to be everywhere these days. Everybody's talking about it. It's on the news a lot more. We, t- we hear about all of these healthcare companies or larger institutions being, you know, hacked or data breaches or whatever it might be. Talk to me about what's the small business take on cybersecurity? 
A, do they think they need it or want it? Are they being made aware of it? Like what's the marketing campaign and, and how are you getting the the knowledge out to them that this is an important thing for their business too, even though they might think that they're not a threat because they're a tiny business? It's a grind. Reminds me of a story. One of my best friends was in downtown Albany and they were outside. Boyfriend, girlfriend come spilling out onto the sidewalk and they're fighting, literally whacking each other. And my one of my best friends, he, he was this hockey player, jumped in, you know, floored the guy. And at the moment, we're all just kind of like shocked and we're expecting this girl to like run up and give him a hug for... Helping her. Helping her avoid a real beatdown. And she ended up scratching his face. So She wanted to do it herself. <laughs> well, you know, you, sometimes you care more than the victim. Mm, yeah. mm-hmm. And there's a lot of that in cyber for small businesses right now. It's changing slowly but surely and, and in an accelerating fashion. But today, many, many small businesses still feel like they're invulnerable or they're not being targeted or they're not uh, educated enough to know that this is important. And the industry has done them no favors, though, honestly. You know, we, we love, and I blame myself, I'm part of it, we love complexity and hype and hysteria and headlines because it sells technology, it sells product. Yeah. But the reality is we've abandoned small business. The entire, well, now I think it's like $273 billion cyber industry has nothing for small businesses. And so, you know, over the years, spending time in that industry became very clear. In fact, even back at Great Castle Security, can't tell you how many times we walked away from a small business that wanted to work with us. We couldn't afford them and they couldn't afford us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it kind of stuck with me. And then in 2019, when someone brought this idea to me, really that was sort of my, my instinct was, I don't think I'm going to be good at this myself but it, this problem needs to be solved. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you think about the metrics, it's overwhelming. 99.87% of all businesses in this country work are their small businesses. Yeah. Like 25 to 250 employees, 60% of all employees work for a small business. And I think it's 55% of our GDP is small business. And we've completely ignored the entire thing. The entire cyber industry has completely ignored that segment. So, you know, our mission is making it accessible and affordable, easier to understand and make informed decisions and relevant. You know, a lot of the stuff that's been built, whether it's technology or even service providers like Greycastle, like it's, they're designed to solve really big, really complex issues for really big organizations. And it's, it's been a challenge to try and scale that down to a 25-person physician practice or a small manufacturer in Queensbury, you know. So for me, it's been exciting because, you know, kind of had a chance to go back to school and learn about a totally different market and a totally different way of thinking about cybersecurity. But, you know, so far so good. I will say it is a lot of hard work and oftentimes we care more than the victim. Yeah. I'm curious that you mentioned that small business and and being away from it. And then suddenly these last couple of years being involved, I'm wondering if there's that one aha moment with the small business. Yes, you presented with an idea in 2019, but what was that epiphany that hit you about small business that you wish you'd known 10 or 20 years ago? You know, I don't know if there was one data point, but certainly the addressable market is exciting. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just the sheer volume of people and companies and 
you start to dig into it. I mean, you think about Walmart and Target, you know, the companies that I used to work with. Guess who's connected to Walmart? Small business. Uh, yeah, like a million of them. <laughs> exactly. A million small businesses are connected. So it became easier as I got into kind of looking at, you know, how do I translate all this institutional knowledge into something that will be useful to a completely different type of entity that they're really just part of the supply chain too. Yeah. You know, the, the, the dam was, was open at that point and the idea started to flourish a little bit. But um, yeah, I would argue we still haven't cracked the code. It's, we're still experimenting a lot and trying to figure out messaging and where do they get their information. And, you know, we've been successful as a company, but it's, you know, we're not just taking orders. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think from a small business perspective, I'm an owner of a small business. And I think the biggest thing that people need to understand is that it's typically, or at least in my experiences, we've been harassed by more phishing schemes. So somebody posing as me telling my finance person to cut a check. And luckily, my people have been trained at least enough to think that that's weird. That's not something Miriam normally does. So they're not going to do anything until they talk to me and ask me what's going on. Thank God, because we have had other people in our company who have had similar things where, and it seems to be me, they, they're pretending to be me spoofing my email or whatever and saying, or, or text. I've had, we had it over the a last summer. A text thing came through a couple of times and people were like, was this you? And I'm like, no, that is definitely not me. But thank God they were smart enough to, and we had checks and balances in place where my, my finance person knows what the process is to cut a check, how we do it. It's not you know, cut me a check for $14,000. It's here's an invoice for this organization that we're doing business with. This has been approved for payment. Like there is certain language and things that luckily just by process alone, not thinking cyber related that we had put in place that actually safeguarded us. Sure. But we work with people's data all the time. I have my internal employees. I have all of their data, but I also have all of my temporary employees and I'm responsible for all of their data and all of the data that's in my system from all the people who have worked with me last year and the year before. And so I think small business needs to understand that they really need to be aware of this and train their people. So if a person wasn't going to buy services from you, but you wanted to at least leave them with one tidbit of something they could do to help safeguard their business or make their employees more aware, what do you think that might be? Well, certainly HR is a commonly overlooked component of mm -hmm. cybersecurity because we're looking at risk to data. Yeah. And... Every cyber risk comes down to a human being, mm -hmm. whether it's people clicking links or misconfiguring a firewall, writing sloppy code, it could be anything. So that it really is a human issue. There's not one thing. I mean, people ask me that question all the time and there's, you know, because it's a process. It would be saying, like saying, in terms of your personal fitness, what's one thing you yeah. would recommend to someone? Is it sit-ups? Is yeah. it kale? <laughs> Is it more water? You know, uh, kale. So it's hard. It's uh, it's really hard because every every organization is different and they all have their own individual risks. Mm -hmm. But what I would say is, if this is something you're contemplating or on the brink of investing in, really try to answer one question. Whether you're looking for a provider or you're deciding what and what not to do, is is it worth it? Mm -hmm. Because most decision makers, business owners, fiduciaries, whatever, they don't have enough knowledge or understanding of cyber to really make 
informed decisions based on data, heuristics, empirical data, but they do have a sense of their gut and what feels right and what feels like overkill. And so we try to boil it down into real simple terms, you know, to make the decision-making easier. But really it comes down to, is it worth it? Think about your, your home. I mean, do you have a shotgun? Do you have a security system? Do you have... Uh, do you a, lock your doors? Do you, do you lock your doors <laughs> right. at night? I mean, yeah. everyone makes these sort of instinctual decisions all day. And actually, human beings are very good at managing risk until it comes to cyber. But you can leverage a lot of those same instincts and you know, lizard brain capabilities to, to make the same decisions. You know, So I, I would say encourage people to really think about what's it worth to reduce the risk of cyber-related issues in their business. Well, and not to mention, if you just look at it from a data protection standpoint, New York State has laws in place that make you liable. You were resp- you're responsible yeah. for that. That alone could shut a business down. And then let's not, to, let's not forget, I mean, we were just talking about this before we started recording. My cyber insurance went through the roof this year. And knock on wood, we've been pretty good company when it comes to that. We've not any, had any breaches. We're very careful. We've, over the year, even I feel like sometimes it's overkill and I'm like, two factors not enough. Now I got to do this multi-factor thing and I have to have this app on my phone and every time I log out, I got to get a text to be able to log back in. What the hell? But when I step back and go, fine, it's like two extra tiny little steps that take me two seconds to like do something on a computer. Yeah, I mean, I think you answered the question. Was it worth it? Right. You know? It is. I still have a business this year. You still right. have a business. Yeah. And so, insurance. Yeah. And, but I just think that it, insurance alone, having um, an organization helping with cybersecurity, all of us are paying for this, these cyber crimes. All of yeah. us are paying yeah. for the things that are happening that we're reading and hearing about. Yeah, sure. I liken it to like, I think of my mother, right? Parents of our age, right? Mm-hmm. The, you know, 80s, 90s, whatever it is. They'll click into anything. They'll open anything. My mom almost got scammed by somebody from Bank of America, supposedly, quote unquote, from Bank of America and Publishers Clearinghouse was going to win $5,000. And the bells were going off in her head not to do this, but she's still making the phone call to respond to this person. And fortunately, we stepped in and stopped her. But I've had plenty of friends whose grandparent got swindled for five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. Your son, your grandson's in jail. He needs the money, right? So it's kind of teaching your folks, just be wary, Right, you don't mm-hmm. have to trust every single message unless you hear a familiar voice. All right, yeah. get a phone number, call them back. So it's so funny you talk about our older generation. My mother has a notebook, and she's never been hacked. Okay, never been hacked, never lost any money. But God bless her. I think it's because she was a, a prison employee, meaning she worked for the prison system. So like they were taught to you trust no one. She has <laughs> trust a but verify. she has a notebook. And the passwords this woman makes up are frigging genius. <laughs> and I'm like, what Book. in the hell? And she, oh man, nothing has the same password, nothing. And she doesn't do that much online, but she still has to have a notebook because I need the notebook. <laughs> I'm like, mom, if anything ever happens to you, <laughs> make sure the notebook is somewhere where I can find it. But like the, the things she makes up with the numbers and the letters and the words, like the funniest things too. Like mm-hmm. I can't even think yeah, of one. Hilarious. It's just really ridiculous. Well, you know, um, what's funny is that most people do have the skills. You know, we talk about social engineering issues and, you know, scams and fraud and that. Most people have the skills. What they refuse to do is apply them. But one recommendation that I make to folks, so going back to your, 
your example of you know someone getting a social engine and, and making the call even though their spidey sense was going off is take yourself out of email imagine that you're at the grocery store and someone a stranger walks up to you and delivers the exact same message word for word right how do you feel well it's the same instant ah, yeah absolutely so, and what the difference is is that's a medium and a situation that people are comfortable with and familiar with. So now they can go back to those risk management instincts that they were born with. Right. Because email really kind of made it disguises, too easy. It, well, it, it makes it harder. It actually it disguises or clouds your ability to assess risk because you're busy in email. This isn't like real life. Like this is the matrix, you know? So I tell people, just imagine you're pumping gas at a gas station and some random stranger walks up to you and says, you know, Prince Nabu from Nigeria <laughs> has a check for $14 million for you. And all you got to do is wire 12000 to get I a know, stamp. right? Roadside assistance toolkit. So what is in your roadside assistance right. kit? I was so excited for this question. So I'm a bit of a prepper. Okay, keep bit. talking. Like worst case survivalist? Uh, yeah. Like doomsday right. prepping it's, prepper? Yeah, doomsday prepping. Interesting. So uh, I was really into it several years ago. It's kind of faded a little bit. I've just been busy with work and stuff. But <laughs> I actually have a go bag with a go bag. Okay. 72 hours worth of food, clothing, shelter, and safety. Wow. At all times. And I have some extra stuff in my car, specifically like auto-related yep. stuff. I literally have one bag and it's in my office and I could grab it and run out of the house and be good for 72 hours, pretty much anywhere. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. That's a good one. That's a whole other story. But yeah, it's, it's, and it's kind of fun, honestly, you know. You go back into it and change out items here and you there? Do. You have to do it twice a year in upstate New York just because of the seasonal change. Okay, You got to sure. make sure that the right clothing yep. and stuff like that. The other stuff... You tend to buy, you know, dried food and water doesn't go bad. You know, you can keep water if it's in the right container for a couple of years. But some of the stuff, mostly clothing and uh, shelter because of the seasonal change. But other things, no, they can, they last forever. Band-Aids, mm -hmm. beans, yep. bleach tablets. I mean, they last yep. forever. Do you have enough for your wife and daughter? I was just going to well, say the same thing. <laughs> thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I guess I can't send this link to Cindy. <laughs> One of us has to make it. That's great. <laughs> I love it. I'm thinking of that that show on HBO, Last of Us. With yeah, I heard about that show. I could never watch that show. Yeah, that stuff's it, not in it's, my it's intense. Oh, I, DNA. I just love like post-apocalyptic movies mm -hmm. because I mean, what a f***ing awesome concept! Like, there's no people, and you can shoot whatever you want. Like, well, and they can make up whatever storyline, and nobody can really complain yeah, about it because it's whatever. future tense, right? Yeah, yeah. It's exciting. So one other thing we like to kind of weave into as we wrap up here are the the discussion around community involvement. What sort of community engagement do you kind of tie yourself to on a personal note that you'd like to kind of give a plug to to our audience? The Red Cross has really become sort of a mainstay for me. I was on the board for two terms, like eight years total. I'm on the disaster action team. I've got training for sheltering. So like people like in Florida and they're setting up a shelter and stuff like that. And so I'd really like to do more, but um, the Red Cross, people don't know just how amazing and just how comprehensive, like the stuff that they do is just unbelievable. I have a, a nephew who just went into the Air Force and there's a system where families can contact their 
children or relatives in the in the military, and it's actually easier and faster to go through the Red Cross than it is to go through that branch of the military. Mm-hmm. And they all, they also provide you know a system to do that, but it's way faster to do it through the Red Cross huh. and way more effective. And just the the things that the the Red Cross does for veterans and for people in need, and you know, at the worst possible point in your life, yeah. like the lowest point, your entire house is gone. Every picture, <laughs> every everything is just gone. Erased. And you know, they often beat the firefighters there. Jeez, they're often the first ones on scene. So, and there's a hundred other things we could go into, but I just really respect them and I just admire. Uh, just an amazing, amazing organization and really well run too, especially like the local chapter, which is really where I've been involved. Every year I say, I'm going to get prepared in June and July to go and be ready for hurricane season. I still haven't made it happen, but I'm just really committed to doing that. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And we'll post more information about the Red Cross on our website in conjunction with this um, blog or this video. (laughs) This isn't a video. This is a podcast. Holy cow. It's not a video. (laughs) Sorry. We do a lot of different stuff. So, but Reg, thanks so much for joining us today. This This was a whole new side of Reg that I didn't (laughs) know about because we were talking, we were reminiscing over the holidays that we've, we've known each other for a really long time, but more in a business setting. So this was nice to get to know you a little bit better. Thank you so much for joining us. More and more enjoyed like this side of life and conversations like this too. So I appreciate it. Thank you for the invitation. No, thanks for joining us. I loved how... Reg put this, is it worth it question into our head throughout Mm -hmm. this discussion, just in terms of that small business piece we talked on the front end of our conversation with him. The small business doesn't get the love and attention and knowledge share that big box does, right? Right. So I love that he has that perspective to share uh, with everyone about what to pay attention to and learning all his funny stories. You know, the the Bill Gates similarity yeah. aside, that was, <laughs> I couldn't get that out of my head. I'm like putting glasses awesome. on him. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Put the little glasses on. But I think what's really important and what I think he also shed some light on is just as much as small business doesn't get the attention it deserves, Small business acts that way too. And they need to understand that they could be a target, their people could be a target. And so understanding that cyber security is just as important to a person, a solopreneur, to someone who has 25 employees and up, it's super, super important. And I, for one, can speak off the top of my head. I can remember at least in the last year, at least four or five different phishing scams where people posed as me to others in our company. So I think it's super important. Well, and not for nothing. We joke about zombies and post-apocalyptic stuff. I can't say that word cleanly. But if you think about that small business, most small businesses work with other small businesses. And one accepts a virus or a phishing scam, it's going to ripple throughout that entire community. And as he put it, I think he said 98.8 something percent of businesses in the United States are small businesses. Absolutely. It impacts everyone. So the the importance is really can't be stressed enough. So it was was a thrill to have him on here as a guest today. And we hope you enjoyed that. So for more notes on things like the Red Cross, read through our show notes here on alant.com. But thanks for being with us on HR in the Car. 